welcome to episode three of the Historical Paranormal Podcast. Today's episode is going to largely focus on the history behind a ghost story, uh, as opposed to just a heavy amount of ghost type activity. And this, it did come about in a paranormal way, my remembering this story. When I was dating somebody back in 2005, I was about 20, um, we were walking in San Pedro Park and I remember him telling me, this is the area where a lot of women and children, Comanche women and children were massacred. And if you come late at night, you can sometimes hear the massacre happening and you can see them running. You can see the ghosts of these women and children running uh, from the Texian soldiers of the Texas Rangers. And that story had always stuck in my mind because I thought, wow, this is, first of all, a terrible story. It's awful that that would have happened. And it's a little interesting that that type of thing, that massive amount of pain and that that interesting part of history would have taken place on the area or the ground that I was standing in. So it always kind of stuck in my head. And later on, they've been doing a lot of renovations on San Pedro Park, so it's been in the news. I started thinking, okay, did this actually happen? I never even looked this up. This would be a great podcast episode. Let's see what actually happened. Well, my ex-boyfriend was incorrect on many factors, but he was right in that there was a Comanche massacre that took place in San Antonio, Texas. It was not in San Pedro Park. It ended up being downtown next or near the Spanish governor's palace. And like most things that were crazy, it happened in Main Plaza downtown. So it's hard to say whether it's actually haunted because there's just, there's so much competition for ghosts in that area. We have to remember that area was a battlefield of the Alamo just a few years prior to when this happened. So there's just a lot going on. There's, I could do a whole podcast season on what happened in downtown San Antonio in the 1800s because it was just lots of stuff. So the story that we're covering today is on the council house fight. And the Council House fight finds us in Texas on March 19th, 1840, really the first three months of 18, 1840. And this is a Texas that's about four years out of Mexican rule and inhabited by many people, including Texians. And we're using this terminology instead of Texan because in 1840, it was the way Texas residents referred to themselves. They didn't really become known as Texas and Texans until 1845 and after when they were annexed by the United States. And a lot of Americans began just moving in mass to Texas, and they wanted to refer to themselves as Texans, which is a lot easier to say, I'll be honest. So this is also a Texas as an independent republic, led at this time by Mirabeau Lamar. He was a nationalist that was bent on removing the Native Americans from Texas at all costs. Sam Houston, who preceded Lamar as president, along with other factions, had previously brokered a peace agreement with the Comanche tribes that lived on the land. So while a raid or a skirmish may have broken out occasionally, it was so few and far between that it just wasn't known to be a hefty problem under Sam Houston. Texas had always been home to Native American tribes, with San Antonio being inhabited. Again, I, I may be saying this incorrectly. I know I do this. I did this in the last podcast too, but <laughs> our last episode, that it was inhabited by the Lipan or Lipan Apaches before they moved on and Canary Islanders, Americans, and Comanche settled, settled there. With Lamar as president, the peace agreements with the Comanche tribes were completely reversed, and war broke out between the Comanches and the Texians, with the Texians invading their lands, known as Comancheria, which was a large expanse of land beginning near San Antonio and encompassing the Edwards Plateau, Hill Country, 
Texas Panhandle, and parts of New Mexico. It was a massive amount of land. The Penateca Comanche tribes had been in Texas for about 100 years. They were a nomadic group that largely followed the buffalo on the southwestern Great Plains. They had no unified leaders. There were over 35 tribes, each with their own leadership and only sharing basically a a socio-political and cultural background. This became an issue when raids would occur, especially with women and children being taken as captives. They were the most sought after for many reasons, like the nicest of which was assimilation and growth. And I say nice, like relatively, let's think about it, because the awful things did happen. We'll discuss some of them. Um, But yeah, assimilation and growth for the the most most part. Smallpox and other diseases had devastated Comanche numbers by 1840 and preservation was key to survival, which is where we find ourselves. The Comanche had been pretty much tired of the Texas Rangers fighting them at all times, militias, various militias fighting them. And I would imagine they were tired of raiding all of these different areas, um, different settlements. So in January of 1840, Comanche emissaries rode into San Antonio They brought back a white boy they had taken as hostage as a sign of sincerity and peace on their part. They promised that a much larger group of leaders would be back in under 30 days to negotiate the return of more hostages so that the fighting could come to an end, at least temporarily. They didn't, spoiler alert, they did not come back in under 30 days. They actually came back on March 19th. And they had asked for a council house peace agreement or a summit. So the council house fight, as it came to be known, was supposed to be not a fight or a massacre, but a peace conference. Both both parties had agreed upon a truce to come together and negotiate the return of several hostages that had been taken from Texian settlers. However, I can't stress this enough, with no central leadership, each tribe was autonomous and no one leader could force the other to return hostages, even if the leader holding on to captives was in the minority among the tribes. So they met with Colonel Carnes, and this is, again, the uh, emissaries that came in January. They met with Colonel Carnes, who had agreed to continue peace talks only if all Anglo hostages were released from captivity, around 13 to 16 people, including children as young as six. I say Anglo here because the Comanche had also kidnapped a few Mexican children along with the Texian children. They weren't asked about because they may not have been known to Colonel Carnes or, I mean, come on. They just come out of a really nasty war with Mexico, so they may not have viewed the Mexican captives as their problem. They would have seen them as more Mexico's problem. But upon hearing about the proposed peace conference, the Texas Secretary of War, Albert Sidney Johnston, ordered that the Comanche chiefs be taken as hostages if they didn't release all of their captives. So shit was already going to go down. They expected it to go down. They already thought this may not go as well as we think it's going to go. And there are reasons for that. So since the Comanche chiefs couldn't really promise anything when it came to the other tribes' hostages, we, we can pretty much infer that Texas knew that this may not go well. And that's why I said that. Two of the chiefs, in fact, had already refused to release hostages. That's Buffalo Hump and Pita Nakona. They never agreed to release anyone back to the Texans. They wanted no part of the peace conference. So it was Chief Maguara of the Eastern Comanche tribe and about 12 other chiefs bringing 65 Comanches to San Antonio on March 19th, including women and children, since, again, this was supposed to be a peace conference. 
Uh, but he also brought a few warriors, just FYI, something to think about. <laughs> they also did not know if this was going to go well, but nevertheless, they all dressed in their finest and brightest attire. Their faces were freshly painted, and they came with a purpose. They wanted Comancheria to be recognized and protected as a sovereign land of the Comanches. However, here's the caveat. Instead of bringing all white prisoners, as they had previously been asked to do, to the meeting, they only brought one, as well as a few of the Mexican children. At 16, Matilda Lockhart had been a captive for a year and a half already. Reports specifically written after 1890 all included that Matilda had suffered rape, beatings, and torture among the Comanches, citing that her nose had been entirely burned off. This report came primarily from a woman named Mary Maverick, who helped care for her. Sixty years after the fact, though, is when she mentioned how the Comanches would wake up Matilda with a fire poker to the nose, so much so that she had burns all over her body, but mainly a burned-off nose. Primary sources and witnesses, however, to the event don't mention this at all, and it was something they most certainly would have reported on. Matilda's own sister-in-law, in a letter to her mother, didn't report that there was anything wrong with her. Matilda did give the Texians information about what they had planned to do with the other prisoners. She said that they either planned to use them in further peace talks or ransom them. Ransom them. She wasn't sure which. Colonel Carnes, though, had asked that all Anglo prisoners be released. Chief Magora explained that that wasn't possible, and the 12 chiefs in attendance were taken to, the building, to a building near the jail to continue peace talks. The Texians demanded to know where the other prisoners were, and Maguara said that they were with the other tribes, but were available for a large amount of supplies, including ammunition and blankets, proving Matilda Lockhart correct in that they were planning to use the other prisoners as ransom. Then Chief Maguara said, How do you like that answer? Shockingly, by the way. The Texans did not like that answer. They positioned militia around the courtroom and told an interpreter that the Comanche chiefs were to be held hostage until the, all of the Anglo captives were returned. The interpreter warned the Texas militia right then and there that if he delivered this mes message to the Comanches, they would fight their way out of the council house. So again, if you're not super familiar with Comanches, they were known for a lot of things. They were great horsemen. Um, they were nomadic, as I've said before, but mainly they were known for being fierce warriors. They were not known to be taking, be, to take being arrested and jailed particularly well. Knowing this, the leaders of the militias were like, go ahead and say it then. And pretty much as soon as he translated the translator, as soon as he translated that message, he got the hell out of that room. And of course, as he said, it would, a fight immediately broke out. And the Texian soldiers opened fire point blank on the chiefs without a lot of target control, killing both Comanche leaders and whites. When the fight spilled outside, the Comanche women and children who were showing off and doing various things for the crowd that had gathered started shooting, shooting arrows just everywhere. Have fun with it, right? Like, we're going to fight. Let's start fighting. And citizens and soldiers alike descended upon all of them in the melee Whites and Comanches were killed. Of the Comanche party that came for peace talks, 30 men, 3 women, and 2 children were killed. 29 were taken captive. On a weird side note, when I was reading all of the stories and the different websites and primary sources on this account, one really stuck out to me because it made absolutely no, well, a little bit of sense to me, honestly. But still, 
I'm just going to share it. A German surgeon with the last name of Biedemann helped to treat the wounded after the council house fight. He had actually been assigned by the Tsar of Russia, and that was Nicholas Pavlovich Romanov, to make observations about Texas and Texians. A couple of days after the fight, it was discovered that he had boiled two of the bodies of the Comanche to separate their skeletons for travel and disposed of the rest in the San Antonio water supply, which I can only assume is either San Pedro Springs or the San Antonio River. Nothing else is said after that. They just drop that bomb and then move on. Interesting stuff. And it's not surprising that the Tsar of Russia would be interested in what the Texians had done. Fighting off a large empire, especially the Mexican empire at this point, was kind of a big deal. So the eyes of the world were definitely on Texas. I didn't know this little tidbit. That was a surprise. But I thought I'd share it with you guys because it is weird and interesting. So the day after, March 20th, a Comanche woman was released to her camp to let them know that the prisoners would be released if the 15 Texians and three Mexicans were liberated within 12 days. At this point, they were like, give us the Mexicans too. Let's just get them all because we're tired of this problem. Unfortunately, upon hearing about the massacre in San Antonio, the Comanche tribes tortured the remaining hostages to death, slow roasting them, among many other things, until they passed away. This included Matilda Lockhart's six-year-old sister. Only three were spared, and they were only spared because they had truly assimilated into the tribe, which is something that they did quite often. They would have women and children assimilate into the tribe as if they were their own, with some of them returning and escaping and some of them not. Some of them actually choosing to stay. So this was not the only thing they did in retaliation. The Comanches were completely surprised at what the Texians had done. The council that the Comanche had called was sacred to the Native Americans in general, and this sort of betrayal was shocking to them. That being said, they'd also betrayed a truce themselves during a meeting at Fort Parker, Fort Parker, four years beforehand. So it couldn't have been that surprising. I mean, they had done the same thing. Not in any way, shape, or form as heavily lopsided as this fight was, but they had definitely betrayed peace before. So, remember Chief Buffalo Hump? He was incensed at the brutality of the Council House Massacre, as it came to be known. He led what became one of, if not the largest, raids ever carried out against white settlers. They went from west, from the West Texas Plains to these still-standing-now towns of Linville and Victoria at the Texas Gulf Coast, pillaging, burning, and stealing. It said they captured around 1,500 horses. On the way back to Comancheria, the raiders met with the Texas Rangers and volunteers that made up several militias from Bastrop to Gonzales, among other towns. Both of those towns still standing as well. In the ensuing Battle of Plum Creek, near what is now Lockhart, has made some mur- or has some murky details about who actually won. Texas history will say that the Texas Rangers won the day, newly armed with their trusty Colt revolvers, but only 12 Comanche bodies were actually recovered. As far as I know, they were never boiled and sent to Russia, but, you know, since that was just a bomb that they dropped, who knows if it's real? Um, who knows if there wasn't any, or if there weren't any bodies sent to Russia? But the reported death count that was uh, reported by the Texians was about 80, which would have been a large amount of casualties on the Comanche side if it was true. But again, they only recovered 12 bodies. Despite the unclear details, the Comanche got away with most of their stolen goods, but something good did come of the battle, albeit temporarily. 
1843, Buffalo Hump and every other Comanche leader made a temporary peace agreement with Sam Houston, who had by now come back into power after Texas realized that Mirabeau Lamar maybe wasn't the best dude. Um, so they made that peace agreement, and they followed that with several more agreements that were meant to be more long-lasting. Texas, however, was soon annexed after that by the United States, and while there were peace agreements made with the U.S., none actually stuck long enough to make any sort of headway into Comanche area remaining a protected land of the Comanche people. In the end, the Comanche tribes were mostly driven out of Texas into Oklahoma, still led by Buffalo Hump. He considered what had become of his tribe to be a failure on his part, but succumbed to the pressure of the United the pressure the United States had put on his reservation and led his people as well as he could into the end decades of the 19th century, eventually teaching by example by living in a traditional house. And the articles on that, by the way, that I read stated that he was a rancher and a farmer to the end of his life, but the Comanche had always been ranchers in a way. So this isn't necessarily the way I'd say he and his people had to change. I'd say it was the lack of freedom to roam the land in search of Buffalo and the end of a nomadic lifestyle that was the change he eventually adapted to and not the ranching and farming. So this is the end of the council house fight story. The stories that come of the area where so many died in the council house massacres center around 114 main plaza, which is a bookstore recently and now is a headquarters for a maid service. There have definitely been sights or sightings of ghosts in this area, but it's hard to tell if the council house fight was the reason for them or if they're remnants of that time. The area here was also part of the Alamo battleground, and many people were laid to rest in the walls of San Fernando Cathedral as well, which could be a whole other episode, and we might do that. I did not know that, again, prior to the research for this episode, so I'm a little interested in that. So, is the area haunted? Probably, but by how many? I mean, of all the ghosts that could be there, it's hard to pick out just the one. There is plenty of competition for that area to be ghosty. So there ends our third episode. Please follow us on Instagram. We are at historical paranormal and also check out our website. That is historicalparanormal.home.blog, where you can find pictures and just different tidbits that we can find on the internet that kind of give you a visual to the story. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to hearing your ideas and we'll see you next week.